This episode of Mate was made possible thanks to Open Universities Australia, where you can now study single module postgraduate units from leading Australian universities without having to enrol in a full university degree. To find out more, head to open.edu.au. This is Mate, a podcast about marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'm a digital strategist and entrepreneur. Today, we're speaking to Simon Davenport, who is one of Australia's premier marketing professionals. He's worked at some of the biggest brands in Australia, including Kmart, Boost Juice, and Officeworks in senior leadership positions. And we talk about what he's learned from each of those positions, how to create better advertising that actually works, and we finish off by talking about how to inspire a team and how to inspire an entire industry. Let's go talk to him. So, who are you and what do you do? My name is Simon Davenport. I'm the National Advertising and Communications Manager at Officeworks Australia. Uh, But more importantly, I'm here to help inspire a generation of marketers to think about what's possible and then to go out and achieve it. Excellent. I'm inspired just hearing that. So, Simon, thanks for coming on the show today. And uh, we're actually in the Officeworks offices right now recording this interview. And that's a... I guess, a fairly senior leadership role in marketing at a big Australian brand. Um, So that's a big achievement in itself. But let's rewind the clock a couple of years. You've been in the marketing game for about 12 years, 10 of those working in retail businesses, uh, Kmart, Boost Juice, Officeworks. So tell me where it all began. Where did did your passion of marketing uh, spark? I think it probably first sparked off uh, back in the university days, um, doing the old undergraduate degree uh, over at Curtin University in Western Australia. Um, I started off um, you know, doing a commerce degree. I think a lot of students go into uh, commerce and think, wouldn't it be great to be working in business? Um, I definitely gravitated towards that communication side of things and the whole marketing, I guess, element of business. Um, and really from sort of quite early on uh, in my university days, I knew that I, I definitely wanted to focus around marketing. Um, so just worked really hard at it at uni, um, moved from Perth over to Melbourne, um, started working uh, in agency land um, at the start of my career. Uh, really, really liked the work that I was doing for some retailers um, when I was working uh, uh, back in, in uh, creative agencies um, and then just sort of catapulted from there. So why marketing? I just find that... In, in business, and you know, this is no disrespect to finance or you know, some of the other areas that, that are within business, and I, I like all that, all that sort of thing and all that sort of side to business as well, but marketing, I felt like you could really be creative and, and express yourself, and I feel like um, with marketing, the sky's the limit. It's just a matter of how you want to speak to your audience and what value you want to add to your audience's life and be really creative around how you bring yourself across the market. So... I felt like marketing would definitely suit me because I like to be able to express creativity um, and really sort of try and break new ground in business. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Your first kind of um, client-side role was at Kmart. Yeah. What did you learn there? I think at Kmart I learned that probably most of all, it doesn't matter how big the business is, it doesn't matter how many thousand people are working for that organisation, how complex it is and you know, the myriad of different people that are sort of working uh, within the framework of that business. But you can actually turn it around and make it something completely different tomorrow than what it is today. And that's exactly what needed to happen at Kmart. Um, Back in sort of, you know, um, 2007, 2008, that the business had really plateaued there. A few of its competitors had kind of taken over, um, you know, and gained a lot of market share on Kmart. So a new business strategy was implemented uh, for Kmart and it really kind of changed uh, the organisation to now what it is today, which is a really, really super successful retailer um, in the Australian landscape. So what I learned there was it doesn't matter how much complexity there is, with the right vision and strategy, you can turn a business around and make something absolutely phenomenal out of it. And then you moved on to uh, Boost Juice. Um, That's right. And that was the early days of Boost, right? That was, so I was there from 2010 onwards and I think the brand was just about to turn 10 years old. So it was pretty early days, yes, yeah. I don't know, like 10 years is uh, is kind of infancy in business terms. Um, yeah. But, uh, but it's not really a startup anymore at 10 years old. 
No, it is sort of it. It was a really interesting scenario because the mentality was still very startupish,、mm-hmm. and it was still very, I guess, like you know, cavalier and pioneer, and you know, we can do anything sort of mentality and attitude. But as as you say, it wasn't you know, it wasn't really a small business anymore. It wasn't really a startup. It had actually grown to a couple of hundred stores、uh, in Australia,、um, <laughs> and, and about another fifty, I think, around the world as well. But it still had that really, I guess, like youthful and exuberant startup. We can achieve anything vibe to it, even though it had sort of grown to a medium slash large large business with a lot of stakeholders and people involved in the process. So,、um, yeah. But I think that's something that, that that business will always have is that real kind of, you know, exuberant,、um, energetic, and we can achieve anything sort of mentality about it. It's it's funny because those words that you're using,、um, you're using them to describe the culture internally within the business. But I, when you say them to me, that represents like the outward-facing brand of the business. You know, that's youthful,、right. exuberant, a、um, little bit cavalier, like kind of break the rules, a bit risque almost. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. Um, so it's funny that the、uh, they're really living the brand internally and externally. It's a really interesting point that you raise. That actually, because that was probably the biggest thing for me when I first started there was I picked up very quickly that people absolutely live the brand. Like when you work for a brand like that, you are the brand. So whether you're at work or whether you're not at work and you're talking with your friends or whatever it might be, you just you just are that brand. You live it. You support it. You drink it. You tell people about it. New products come into the fray.、Um, you promote them, and you sort of almost,、um, I guess, become、uh, someone that is a brand ambassador.、Mm-hmm. So you're basically a brand ambassador that, that's working for the brand, that's working for the organisation,、um, whether you're actually doing your work or not. And it's just because if you're going to work there, you, you just got to be really passionate about it because of the way that they actually operate. So. That to me, I think, was a really、um, great opportunity to really live, breathe, and just be a brand、um, and really be part of it. So it was、mm-hmm. great. Yeah, and we were talking before we actually hit record、uh, here that you know you had a little bit of、um, a dabble in acting back in your days at university、uh, with probably one- very poor acting, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> So you were doing that with one of the nonprofits that you were kind of helping out at the time,、um, yeah. and I was just wondering, you know, if you did any extra work、um, in the days with Boost Juice, you know, did you don a coconut bikini and kind of jump in a photo shoot? Or <laughs> look, I tried, I tried to,、uh, they wouldn't let me. So,、um, okay. so, so unfortunately, I wasn't able to add that to my rep- repertoire. <laughs>、um, but no, that would look good on the LinkedIn profile. A- absolutely, it, it would have. Yeah, I think it would have made the difference. I think, I think it would make the difference. <laughs> I wasn't so much,、uh, I guess, someone that worked in the front. I was very much、um, the, the head of marketing that, that worked、um, in the in the background.、Um, having said that, though, one of the things that we actually did do at Boost was every now and then you would go and work in a store.、Mm-hmm. So you'd actually pop on the Boosty uniform, chuck on the headband, put on put on your name badge, and you'd actually be in the store making juices, making smoothies. Um, you know,、uh, listening to loud music, dan- dancing around, being part of the brand and being part of the culture, just so that you could really soak it up and know exactly what it's like. So when you're then going back to actually do your marketing or whatever it might be, whatever your function is in the business, you really are truly living and breathing that brand, and you're creating experiences、um, for the boosties, which then create those experiences that go out to market.、Mm. I like that. That's、mm. that, like like we were saying before, like really living the brand and kind of almost forcing everybody at head office to go out and、uh, and live it as well. Because it can be easy if you know to sit in your ivory tower at head office and kind of just think that you're all that and and the kind of the bee's knees and we're like in charge of the company. All these little plebs out there are actually doing the 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 kind of the grunt work. That's really kind of、uh, encouraging to hear that brands force their employees. Well, maybe not force. Force maybe not the right word, but you know,、um, yeah, I'll stick with encourage. Encourage their employees、yeah. to go out and and embrace what their brand is about. Well, I think it's important, and you know, the Boost example is a good one. Is it's such a such a unique culture, and unless you've actually been in the stores and you're actually creating that culture for your customers, and you're actually part of. What's going on, so that you then know how to go back to you know the the office and actually then create、um, work, so that the stores can actually I guess engage their customers, grow sales, whatever it might be. 
unless you've actually experienced that, you can't truly, I think, have all the information that you need to, to actually do your job. And I think that, um, you know, lots of brands in Australia would probably actually benefit from getting their head office staff to actually go into the stores, do a day of work every now and then, see what it's actually like, so they can learn more about what's actually going on out there, and they can probably create better work to then support the stores. Mm-hmm. Did everybody do it? Uh, it, was, it was a bit of a mandatory, so I'm pretty sure everyone did it. I'm not sure if the CEO did it. Um, <laughs> that was going to be my next question. <laughs> but they did But they did actually create that company. So, um, yeah, yeah at, at the end of the day, it was designed so that, so that people that were coming, whether they were coming into the business or they'd been there for a while and potentially needed to go back out, out to stores to, to reinvigorate what they do, um, it was kind of like a mandatory. You actually would, would go out um, and work in the stores and, and actually soak it up and see what it's like. Mm-hmm. So did you get to work personally with Janine Alice? I did. I did. She's a, she's a really inspiring person and to have created that business out of absolutely just an idea mm. is quite an incredible achievement. So Janine and her, and her husband, Jeff, um, they, they were inspired by, um, uh, I guess, businesses that they saw over in the US that were, um, that were producing juices and smoothies um, on, a, on, a, on a grand scale over in the US and thought that's something that's missing in Australia. Um, you know, we're thinking that there's more, there's more options for, for fast food out there than, than some of the stuff that we already have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your, your, your uh, McDonald's, Hungry Jacks, that sort of stuff. There's, you know, th- there's got to be a better option that's healthier. Um, so they came up with the idea, like, let's, let's start a brand where you can come in and get a, a really healthy snack. It's fast, it's quick, it's fun, it's tasty. Um, you know, it's six or seven dollars, so it's quite profitable. Um, <laughs> and uh, let's let's take it to the next level. So um, yeah, from just a fragment of an idea to now a global, really successful company that I'm I'm sure is still absolutely kicking goals. Yeah, it's really inspiring. So what did you learn from Janine? Um, I probably learned from Janine, and I'll say Jeff as well, her husband too really squeeze absolutely and this is not a pun talking about you know (laughs) squeezing an orange or whatever it does work well but it it wasn't meant to be a pun but just to squeeze absolutely every single opportunity out of every scenario that you're operating within Mm -hmm. so because they when when they started it would have been quite a lean operation they didn't have massive budgets and lots of resources and all that sort of stuff like a big business has to you know get a big marketing campaign out there to, to get people on board that has really taught me to really look at a situation and don't just settle on, um, you know, the things that you can see on the surface, but really think deeply about what you can extract out of the situation, what you can do that won't cost a lot of money, that will engage people and want them to be part of your brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, you know, it's great having big budgets, but it's also um, a great challenge having the smaller budgets as well. And they really taught me to, to look at the situation and squeeze as much as you can out of it mm. because you, you can produce and build an amazingly strong brand with quite limited resources. Yeah. It's funny you say that because, um, you know, having worked in agency world for most of my career, um, I, you know, and creative agencies in particular, you notice that some of the best creative work that's produced is actually by nonprofits. You know, the, the pro bono jobs that, um, that kind of the, the creative teams just put their love into, um, when they've got no money or anything, mm. uh, to, to kind of throw at it. There's no resources except for time and creativity. It's almost like putting the shackles of a budget on something allows you to unleash the shackles in another area in terms of creative and innovation. Yeah. I think sometimes it hits the passion point. So, it's not about all the resources and all the money that you can throw at it and all those sorts of you know, luxuries. It's if someone's passionate about something, they'll do a great job on it. Mm. And some of those non-profit um, you know, organizations, the, the, the passion within those organizations just produces that great work on a real shoestring budget. So yeah, I think that's how it works. So we might kind of get into this a little bit later, but just as a bit of a teaser, um, because we're kind of touching on it, like how do you create like a culture where people are so passionate uh, that they come in and they produce great work and they're excited to be there and that they live the brand? Can you design that? I, th- I think you can. I think you can design that. And I think that you can design that for overall businesses. And I also think you can design that if you need to for the smaller teams within, within inside those businesses. Um, and really, you know, if you start with culture, and I'm sure we'll talk a bit about purpose as well, if you really start with culture and purpose, 
um, and you've you know really got something that you're out there trying to tackle and trying to achieve, and everyone's bought into that and excited about doing that, uh, I feel like it, it, it's possible. It, it's absolutely possible. You know, at, at the end of the day, building really strong teams uh, is about having a, a vision for the future and having purpose behind what you're doing. Um, and yeah, I think that's probably a, a really good teaser on um, one of the areas that we'll, we'll probably cover. All right, cool. Let's uh, leave that cliffhanger to get into later on. That's right. Um, <laughs> so, so you started off at Kmart, you, you moved to Boost, you're kind of climbing the ranks in marketing um, throughout this period, and, uh, and now you are at Officeworks. Tell me about kind of the, the transition to your career here at Officeworks and, um, and a little bit about what you do now. So Officeworks for me has been a, a, an amazing experience. So when I, um, when I first considered coming on board, um, you know, I was like, I wonder, I wonder what this Officeworks place is like. It sells a lot of stationery. <laughs> it's got a lot of tech. Um, you know, basically everything you need for your workspace or if you're a small business, it's probably heaven for small business. It's got everything under one roof. And I've always had a bit of a, bit of a love for stationery. So, so for me, it, it sort of it felt like a bit of a no-brainer, but I, di- I didn't really know what it was going to be like sort of um, outside of what I kind of could feel was the brand when I engaged with it in-store or online. Um, but what I can honestly say is from you know, the outside looking in and now having been here for four years, it's been an absolutely incredible journey where there's been so much growth opportunity um, and there's been so many uh, you know, opportunities to improve the business, both you know, the way that it functions internally to the way that it's perceived out in market, um, that there's absolutely never a dull moment. And you know, for a big blue box that sells stationery, um, the amount of stuff that goes on behind closed doors um, you know, to really make sure that we've got a strong brand that adds value to the customers uh, that we serve every day, um, uh, a, a lot goes into it. So it's been a really exciting journey. Mm-hmm. You know, for a, a brand that's quite sort of focused around delivering the the best prices to customers for, for the products that we that we offer, um, you know, there's also a lot of inspiration in what we try and do as well. So, you know, as a, as a brand, we're really there to help our customers to achieve their ideas. And, and you'll you'll see, our, you know, our, our tagline is "Big Ideas, Lowest Prices." So. Yes, we've got lowest prices, but we're actually here to support people achieving their big ideas. So it's something that the whole, I guess, business is galvanized around from you know, the people that work here in, in support center to um, the people working out in our stores and our, and our team members serving our customers. Yes, we're there and we're selling office supplies and stationery, but we're actually there to help people achieve bigger things. Um, and that's what really inspires us to get up out of bed and do a great job every day. What are some of the common themes that you've seen between each of each of these steps in your career and each of these brands? You know, what are the common themes in marketing that you've taken away? Um, probably the the common theme for me has been, you know, sort of building something out of nothing, mm-hmm. or kind of starting off on a journey um, of something that you know an aspirational target that we've set ourselves out for, you know whether it be having a really strong brand or whether it be having a really strong team that's delivering amazing results or whether it be you know achieving 50% market share or whatever it might be. A common theme for me throughout my career has been I've always gone into an organization and seen that, you know, that there's definitely a massive opportunity and it's just a matter of like sort of building that house out of nothing. So, mm-hmm. so starting at the foundation and then, and then building up from there. So, you know, for, for some reason, it feels like throughout my career, most organizations that I've gone into have been either in a renewal phase or they've, or they've desperately needed a renewal phase. And it might be like more of an overarching sort of business renewal or it might be a marketing sort of refresh that's required. But I found that um, each time my sort of first order of business has been, has been looking at what's going wrong and then sort of looking at how the team's functioning and operating within, within the landscape of the business um, making the right sort of structural changes, getting the right team on board, um, and then setting the direction to then start delivering outstanding results. So um, I guess sort of at the end of all that, you'd sort of maybe call me a bit of a fixer. And that's kind of like it, it wasn't, it, it definitely wasn't planned. It wasn't something that, you know, I left uni, I'm going to be a fixer. I'm going to yeah. go into organizations that have got all these, you know, desperate issues that I need to go and sort out for them. You know, sort of quite the opposite I, I would have imagined. Um but for some reason, I seem to have always gone into businesses when they're desperately in need for some some serious TLC, um, and I've sort of gone in and, and sort of helped to fix it, and, and that's kind of become a bit of a specialty for me. Okay, all right. Um, 
So in saying that then, what do you, what do you know now, you know, 12 years on that you're wishing you at the start of your marketing career? And you're talking at the start, before you answer, um, you're talking at the start of this conversation about, you know, inspiring, um, you know, people who, who are maybe just starting their careers or yep. who are a few years in. So like, what, what have you kind of learned through this journey that you wish you could tell yourself um, 10 years ago? If there was, this is a really simple thing as well. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, it, it would be different for everyone. But the, the biggest thing that I've, I've taken out from day one to, to where I sit today is that you don't always need to have all the answers. But if you haven't got the answer, you just definitely need to know how to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. And what, what, I, what I mean by that is, um, you know, nobody likes to know it all. But at, at, at the end of the day, we, we don't all know everything. And we haven't all got the answers to everything. Um, usually, the right answers are within an organization or within a brand. But the right questions need, need to be asked to the right people to then, I guess, allow those answers to bubble to the surface. So as a team, you can then go out and achieve what's required. Um, you know when I was sort of moving through um, and uh, potentially was in more junior roles, I guess I felt like probably the pressure was more put on me to be the guy that would always come up with the answers. And as I sort of have tran- transitioned into more sort of leadership capacity and more leadership roles, I've also transitioned to you know, asking people and asking the experts the right questions so that they can actually devise the answers and then take those forward. Um, and if I'd known that simple trick, asking the right questions, back um, in the day at the start when everything was kind of kicking off, I think I may have been able to get here a lot quicker. Really? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. The first kind of really challenging question I wanted to throw at you was, does advertising work? Good question. And I really hope that it does. Otherwise, I'm in a whole <laughs> world of trouble and I might not have a job tomorrow. Um, <laughs> No, but no, it's a fantastic question, um, and I can I can answer that in a pretty succinct way. Um, bad advertising doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Good advertising does. And um, what what I what I mean by that is, um, if you produce bad advertising, um, one, it's probably going to annoy annoy people to start with. They're going to switch off to it. It may have a bit of a residual branding effect because you know you've you've implanted some kind of message in their mind, which they're, you know, the customers probably doesn't care about what it is, but they are being reminded of your brand. So if they need to go and buy some milk or if they need to go and um, you know, top up their car with fuel or whatever it might be, you, you may remind them to go visit them next time you have a need, but you're certainly not going to inspire them to jump into your store or onto your website and buy something. Whereas good advertising, you know, and because there's lots of different kinds of advertising, I think really good advertising um, can actually stop a, a consumer in their tracks, make them think or feel something, and then act on it. You know, if I was to sort of break it down into um, even a little bit more detail, I sort of consider advertising f- for me personally into about three buckets, um, and that would be um, you know a, a, a sales activation, so a product and price advertisement where you're selling a product for a particular price, um, which would be sort of a, a sales activation. Um, a functional benefit advertisement. So, you know, it might be talking about, um, you know, a particular benefit of a brand or a particular benefit of a car or a particular benefit of, you know, if we keep using the, the car example, putting a particular fuel in your car or whatever it might be, which is the second one. And then a third one is emotional priming. So creating an emotional connection with your customer um, and with your potential customers um, to, I guess, try and prime them. So, you know, they might not be going to run in store right now, but next time they need something, they will actually consider you first because you've connected with them on, on an emotional level. So, you know, there's, there's three layers for me, sales activation, functional benefits, and emotional priming. Mm-hmm. Are any of those three more important than the other? I think they all work hand in hand, but... I feel like I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but, yeah, de- definitely, definitely. Uh, that's, that's very perceptive of you. Um, but what, what I would say, if you're only going to do one of them, you're probably going to have to focus around sales activity if you want to keep selling things. If you can do two of them, that's probably better, and you would definitely do your sales, your sales activity and your emotional priming. Um, the reason why they work together so well is... 
you know, if you um, connect with people on a deeper emotional level and you sort of, you know, you talk about the why of your brand, you talk about how you can support customers, you talk about, you know, how you're actually there, um, you know, actually caring about them and making sure that, that, that they're okay, it's making sure that um, at the end of the day, when you then send them a message about a sales activity that you're doing or you send them a message about a product at a certain price that you've got, they've already they're already primed with the emotional connection and they're much more likely to then act on the sales activation that you're then sending them. If you understand it, sort of, they both work together hand in hand. You can have one without, without the other, um, but your business won't be as effective. Mm-hmm. So why does uh, functional benefits lose out? Because I think it just kind of sits in the middle and it's still, it's still important. And if you've got you know, maybe a complex product, a high involvement purchase, mm that you're trying to sell. So maybe you're in a market where, um, you know, you might be selling yachts or something like that. So, you know, it's unfortunately, complex. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty complex decision. Not you know, that I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't say I've ever bought a yacht before and potentially never will. Um, it would be nice, but it's, it's probably unlikely to happen. Um, One day when this podcast goes viral. <laughs> exactly. When this thing goes viral and we're both rich, we'll both buy yachts. And, I'll buy and you one and you can buy me one. Yeah, done. Deal. Done. Right, deal. Deal. All right, I think we're actually going to shake on it. Yep, we've shaked on it. <laughs> That's the sound of us shaking hands yep. for those listening. Excellent. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's yachts all around. Um, but you know, b- back to the functional benefit, if you're going to sell a yacht, you can't just say, hey, buy this yacht. It's a million dollars. Come and buy it today. You're going to have to explain what the functional, I guess, benefits of that yacht actually are. So, you know, this yacht has a casino in it or, you know, this yacht has, you know, a ballroom in it or, or whatever. Buy me that one. I'm deaf. I'll, I'll get I'm you buy, I'm going to buy you like a two-meter dinghy and you're going to buy, <laughs> in, you're buy in the ballroom yacht. <laughs> Consider we should it have gone it. We should, we should have gone it. It's, it's happening. It's definitely happening. So, you know, uh, so it depends on what brand you've got and how high involvement the, the purchase is. You may need to do some functional benefit communications. Yeah. Okay. So let's. Uh, so I wanted to ask about um, advertising and and kind of this interesting question of if you stop advertising, what happens? Like you know, we we see brands like Officeworks, for example, that are in markets 365 days a year. You know, in different formats and to different audiences and. Um, with different kinds of messages. Sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's a bit more functional, sometimes it's more of a sales activation. But if you stop all of that, what happens? Nothing would happen straight away, but over a period of time, your, I guess, brand strength within the marketplace would start to decay, it would start to corrode away. Uh, People would begin to forget not everyone, but a lot of people, you know, probably your um, more infrequent shoppers would begin to forget about you. Um, and you'd probably slowly start, uh, you know, seeing a decrease in sales. Um, you'd see people that maybe shop with you once a month, potentially only shop with you once every three months or once every six months. Um, you know, I know brands like McDonald's um, have tried things like taking their TV advertising away for a certain period of time and sort of seeing what actually happens there. And very quickly they started doing their TV advertising again because, you know, they needed to keep reminding people, hey, you need to come to McDonald's, you need to come and buy this burger, it's fantastic, it's really cheap, you know, this week and if you don't get it, it's only going to last for one week so you've got to come in now and all those sorts of messages that, that they send their customers. If they stop doing that, people don't see the urgency or understand or feel that urgency so they might go and get some KFC instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think back to my initial point, it wouldn't straight away make a, a really negative impact, but over a period of time, um, aside from having a website and stores that people would see and, and, and feel the brand again, um, not having the communications out there would forget to remind people to come and engage with you. Mm-hmm. So tell me about brand purpose. What does that term mean to you? I think brand purpose for me is the new brand vision. Mm-hmm. So it used to be, you know, if you're starting up a company, make sure you create a vision, make sure you create a mission, and then try and work out what a mission and a vision is and what the difference is. And, you know, there was always, um, you know, those, those, uh, th- that documentation was, was produced first, and that actually gave, I think, the team working for that brand um, uh, the purpose of what the long-term vision is that they're trying to achieve. So it gave that long-term foresight, that long-term goal. 
And then it also talked to the mission, which was what people are doing each and every day. So our mission each and every day is to serve our customers and do the best we possibly can, or so on and so forth. Whereas now, the, I think what's taken over both of those things is, is brand purpose. And brand purpose is really, I guess, the why as to why brand actually exists. Like, why does, why does Officeworks exist? Why does McDonald's exist? Why does Nike exist? Why does Adidas exist? You know, and actually trying to, I guess, sell to your customers and sell to your team members and sell to your stakeholders and sell to, you know, any stakeholder whatsoever It's part of that brand, why it actually exists and why anybody should care. And what that really does is it galvanizes everybody that's part of that brand together, focusing in on one reason, one why, as to why that brand exists. And I think that galvanization, if that even is a word, brings everybody together, gives them focus, and then allows all of the strategies within that business to ladder up to something much greater that everybody's trying to achieve. And I think that's a lot more powerful than what, you know, the traditional vision and mission um, was that sort of sat within organizations. All right, I'll buy into that. Um, but I do want to ask then, like, brand purpose, that, that term brand is generally a marketing term, um, and brand is usually controlled by the marketing department. So how do you get an entire company to buy into, in a way, marketing's vision or marketing's purpose? I think that's good old-fashioned stakeholder management. (laughs) Just some good old-fashioned management of those stakeholders. So from my perspective, people like to have a purpose about what they're doing. No one likes to come to work to sell pens and paper. People want to come to work and, and actually sell something that means something, I feel, and people want to be part of something bigger and something greater. I think it only sort of takes, you know, this isn't just feeding a purpose down to people and saying, this is our purpose, this is now what you stand for, but it's actually a collaborative effect across the whole organisation producing that purpose. It, 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 it may have started off as being a marketing exercise um, traditionally when, you know, the purpose sort of started to, to, to rear its head recently, but now I think it's more of like a cross-functional development um, of what that purpose is actually going to be and, and all the areas of the business will actually feed into it. So, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, merchandising or, or finance or operations, human resources, all those sort of areas of business will actually have a say in what the purpose is and actually feed into it and be part of, you know, workshops and those sorts of things to actually produce it. So I think that kind of good old-fashioned stakeholder management and making sure that everybody's got a voice at the table, especially at that sort of C-suite level where the purpose is probably mostly being devised and signed off and then disseminated throughout the company. It's just managing all the stakeholders and making sure that everyone's got a voice and then um, that purpose is sort of co-built and everyone can get behind it. All right, so follow-up question to that then is how do you disseminate, you know, the the, the brand purpose from the C-suite through and permeate it to every employee in the organization. I mean, I've been t- I've been talking about customer experience a lot lately with people. It's imperative that like every employee in a company lives the brand if you want to have a consistent customer experience at every touch point. You yeah. know, every time somebody deals with the brand, whether it's online or whether it's in a store or, or whatever, whether it's, you know, with a problem resolution, I've had a, an issue, take it return or call the support number or whatever, right? It's just so cross-functional. You know, there's there's um, HR to train the staff and there's operations to make sure that there's, you know, frameworks and systems in place for certain things to go a certain way. And then marketing looks after kind of the, the look and feel and the, the outward communications of the brand and then you've got like C-suite leaders who are speaking in, you know, um, in the press and, and doing, you know, PR releases and radio interviews and whatever about things. And that all needs to align. So how do you kind of ensure that there's a consistent message, feeling, tone, experience throughout an entire organization? One like Officeworks, which is, you know, thousands of employees across the country. Look, it's, it's probably, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And some, some brands definitely do it better than others. But you know, I think it really is sort of, you know, incumbent on the leaders within an organization to really live and breathe and promote the right cultures um, throughout their teams that are then laddering up to the greater culture within the business. I think, I think you know, it, it's up to leaders to set the direction and to set the tone and then to allow the team to work and operate within frameworks that are, are laddering up to, to the overall objective. So, 
it's not about telling people like, you know, how you're supposed to talk and what you're supposed to do and this is how things are around here. I think it's more, you know, a really strong sign of leadership to kind of set that tone and set that direction, create the framework and then let the team operate and produce the results that are there for the taking. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like if people have got that freedom to work within a, a framework that's going to ladder up to achieving what the business is after, after achieving, then I think everybody can be aligned and everyone's really motivated as well because they get to do what they do best, not what they're told they should do that, that is best. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of goes to that, you know, leader setting the direction but sort of having a framework to allow, allow everyone to operate within um, and I find that that aligns everybody and keeps everything consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair point. So just to kind of use some of the examples we we're using before with kind of the your career background, you know, we've talked about office works and I think in the beginning it was probably quite price led and and I know um, from being involved with uh, working on the office works brand from my perspective on the agency side, you know, just full disclosure, I used to work with Simon. Um, uh, I was on uh, one of the agencies that worked uh, on Officeworks. So we, I've kind we of kicked some ass. We we we, we did, <laughs> um, and you guys still are without me, which is a little bit sad for me. But <laughs> yeah, but you you got it all set up, so now we can just fly with it. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. All, all the digi- all the digital strategy stuff is just humming along. Now, so. Yeah. Um, so so you know like. I've kind of seen firsthand Officeworks go on this journey from very like price-led, big box retailer to much more of a purpose-led vision. Um, and, and that's been a really interesting journey. I mean, you know, to, to, to talk to some of your other examples, you know, Boost Juice, uh, and, and we were kind of talking about it at the top of this conversation, that's fun, youthful, exuberant, but that's really been built into the company from day one. So talk to me and maybe contrast these two examples where one of them, you know, you're kind of just picking up um, part of the company culture and trying to express it um, through through a marketing lens. Big ideas, lowest prices has been kind of the tagline for Officeworks for a while, but I think only in the last couple of years it started to actually be communicated in a in an effective way. So Talk to me about those two and, and you sure. know, how, how that journey's been. No, it's, a, it's a good example because I think it's probably, it's probably better if it is ingrained into the culture mm. in, in day one because what that actually means is you're actually building your, your initial team and you're actually building your initial, I guess, blueprint of the organization um, focused around achieving a why, focused around achieving a, a purpose and existing for, for a sole reason that everyone can kind of, you know, rally around and, and focus on. Um, but I think back to the point I sort of made sort of quite early, early on um, when we started, when we started uh, the podcast was, you know, you can turn any business around and you can actually implement sort of anything within a business with the, with the right, I guess, focus and stakeholder engagement. So, you know, at, at Boost, I was lucky. I, I had the luxury. I went in there. Um, um, it wasn't always luxurious, but... <laughs> Um, you know, it, was, it was damn hard work, but, um, but I went in there after 10 years and that brand knew who it was. There was it was unmistakable and, you know, you can, uh, you know, you can ask anybody in the street, you know, what, what, what do you think of Boost Juice? And they'll be able to tell you it's youthful, it's fun, it's exciting, it's energetic, it's loud, it's, you know, a bit irreverent. You know, they'll, they'll tell you all these words because that brand was built like that from day one mm-hmm. and it has permeated throughout the Australian marketplace. So everyone knows it. Um, you know, something like, um, you know, Officeworks or another organization that's building purpose into what it does and how it goes to market, it's a bit of a taller task because you do need to actually um, sort of change the way that people think, you know, both customers and also people that work for the brand. It is possible though. It is possible. And I think what it, what is really important around it is you can't have some fluffy purpose that sort of sounds like a nice thing on a piece of paper or written up um, on the wall somewhere. It actually has to be real and true and everyone's got to buy into it. And if everyone really believes it and buys into it, then it's absolutely possible. You know, a purpose-driven organization, um, in, in my opinion, is always going to have a deeper emotional connection um, you know, with their customers and with their audience. And they're always going to be shopped at beyond reason, um, you know, aside from its competitors. So I think that you know, C-suite executives um, and business leaders alike um, I think it's starting to turn to brand purpose because it is a really complex landscape out there now and, you know, with 
digital fragmentation, the proliferation of online shopping and all those sorts of things, I think a lot of brands are starting to go, all right, well, what's the next thing for us? How are we actually going to keep our customers engaged when they can buy anything they want Mm. um, online? And I think a lot of brands are actually turning to brand purpose. So, yeah, they're going to have to work out ways to manage stakeholders internally, to collaborate with everybody so everyone's voice is heard and get that thing across the line. Mm -hmm. I noticed that um, Officeworks have released their first kind of like purpose-driven ad uh, yeah, recently. Right. Um, so yeah, I've been paying attention. Fantastic. And Fantastic. Uh, I'm sure you're very excited about it. So, so this ad, you know, traditionally Officeworks has kind of every, every piece of communication has been kind of linked to uh, a particular kind of objective in the marketplace. It might be, you know, selling things um, around into financial year when kind of it's tax time and that kind of thing, or it could be something else. But this ad uh, that I saw recently, um, it, it, had no connection to any kind of time of year. It was kind of evergreen content. It was, um, it was this, you know, beautifully shot video and it's talking about how Officeworks supports people to, to create their big ideas. So congratulations on getting something like that over the line and kind Thank of, you. you know, living, living that purpose that, you know, we've spoken about for the last kind of half an hour, like actually producing something that represents that. And I'm sure that wasn't easy. And I wanted to ask you, what were the challenges in getting a piece of work like that up uh, and in market um, internally, especially against a culture where it's very like merchandise driven, this happens in this month, this happens in this month, we're in market for this many weeks of the year and we talk about sure. these things. Look, um, at, at the end of the day, you know, you'd, you'd probably be surprised. It wasn't, wasn't like it was a big arduous task to... Um, you know, actually sell into the organisation that, hey, this is something that we need to do. We need to connect with our customers on a, on a higher level um, and really show them that we understand them and are there to support them. It just kind of made sense um, because, you know, Officeworks is a really purpose-driven organisation that, you know, over the last few years, it's just, you know, it's, you know gathered more and more momentum and, and sort of more and more of the team have been brought on board and are really sort of buying into we're out here to achieve things um, and help customers achieve things uh, for a higher purpose. The fact that we've now gone into a space where we have launched that ad and, you know, it is trying to, I guess, not necessarily sell products at a certain price, but I guess sell the fact that we actually understand our customers and we're there to support them. It just actually kind of made sense to people internally. It wasn't like it was something that was, well, where this, where is this coming from? This is, this is out of left field. I think everybody really kind of has bought into our purpose and bought into what we actually are here to do each and every day for our customers. And it actually just kind of made sense to then take it to the next level and then communicate that to our customers. So, you know, if, if you can believe it actually was um, quite a seamless process um, mm. of actually getting getting something like that out, out to market. But wasn't there challenges? Like how do you unlock budget for something that's not attached to a specific part of the year or um, how are you measuring the effectiveness of something like this? Well, like, look, you know, I, I, again, it's sort of, it's something that it's not an all or nothing kind of approach. It's, um, you know, I guess the analogy is when you turn on a tap, at the start, you just turn it on a little bit and a little bit of water comes out. So you don't just like absolutely like turn the tap around all the way and then all of a sudden you're flooded. Yeah. You just slowly turn the tap, slowly start investing a bit of budget. I guess over time, gather more momentum until you find a point where you've turned the tap at the right amount. So you've got the right balance between doing that deeper emotional connection sort of advertising stuff, but then you're also driving sales as well in the background uh, and keeping customers coming in um, each and every day to engage with the brand for, for different value that we can add as a brand. So, yeah, it's a matter of not trying to do, you know, uh, the whole like crawl, walk, run, sprint thing straight away, mm-hmm. um, but just kind of slowly easing into it um, and also taking your customers on a journey with you as well. So, you know, all of a sudden doing all this emotional stuff that's, you know, making customers try and wonder what the hell has just happened and, and you know, what, what does this brand now stand for? Mm-hmm. I thought they just sold pens and paper. There's a transformation kind of that you've got to go through a process, yeah. That's right. This episode of Mate was made possible thanks to Open Universities Australia. With Open Unis, you now have the flexibility of studying single-module postgraduate units from leading Australian universities without having to enrol in an entire degree. So this is perfect if you're a busy professional, um, you don't have to go to night school or anything like that. This is a brand new initiative that Open Unis has created, which allows you to upskill for your current role 
or maybe take the first steps towards a new one. And they have a really broad range of subjects that you can learn about. Things like technology essentials for managers or financial decision making. Or perhaps if you just want to learn something new, maybe you could study cyber terrorism and information warfare or democracy and dictatorship. There's over 100 units to choose from on topics from business to economics, technology, media to law. There's so many more. So instead of going to night school, why not work in a way that's flexible for you? Uh, You can work in your own time and learn about some really fascinating topics. To find out more about how to study a single unit from a leading Australian university with Open Universities Australia, head to open.edu.au. And thank you very much to Open Unis for your support of MATE. Okay, enough about Officeworks, Boost, Kmart, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I want to ask you about this uh, this program you did um, with the Marketing Academy. Um, yeah, great. You've spoken really highly about this in the past um, when we've when we've kind of had discussions about it. So tell me what it is and how you got invited to participate and, and what you learned from it. Great. So, yeah, the Marketing Academy is um, an absolutely exceptional organization um, that has only actually been in Australia for about four or five years. Um, it was started by a lady by the name of Sherilyn Shackle. Um, she's from the UK and it actually was, um, the Marketing Academy uh, was actually a UK-based um, organization that was, I guess, set up to inspire and to spend time on and develop the next generation of marketing leaders in the UK so they could then become the next chief marketing officers, the next COOs, the next CEOs, the next business leaders. And it started off um, sort of in in the UK um, and Sherilyn had contacts over in Australia who were like, you have to do this thing in Australia as well. There is there's a, there's a generation of marketers in Australia that, that need the support of the Marketing Academy that, you know, it's 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 very rare that a uh, a CMO gets elevated to a CEO in Australia. It doesn't happen very often. Usually, CEOs come from an operations background, or maybe merchandising, or you know, even HR, or or, or even a sort of financial background. There's not many C- CMOs that are actually moving up to that real managing director, chief executive officer sort of role. So, you know, the marketing academy should exist in Australia. Um, to really inspire that next generation of marketing leaders to kind of take it to the next level. So it's a program that lasts for nine months. Um, it, it, uh, there's, there's a program done each year um, and there's quite a, a rigorous uh, four-step process um, where applicants have to go through um, a, a lot of different stages along the actual application process to be accepted into the Marketing Academy the year that I did it, there was about 250 or 300 applicants and they, they only select 30 of them. Um, I think uh, this year um, there was, you know, sort of more like four or 500 applicants and they only select 30 to go through. So so you were like literally one in 100? Um, well, one in, I think there was about... Actually, my maths is wrong. <laughs> yeah, so actually, yeah, no, it was it was more, so there was about 350 and, and 30 people... Mm-hmm. Were, were selected uh, from from what I can gather. So I was I was pretty lucky. I was pretty lucky. So yeah, we had to submit um, you know an application and obviously resume and actually a project. So you had to actually talk about who you are, what you believe in, um, what why you should come into the marketing academy, and sort of what value you can add. Um, and then got interviewed by a number of different business leaders. Um, uh, that um, you know run really big brands uh, in Melbourne uh, and and sort of in the wider Australian market until you're sort of finally interviewed by somebody that's actually been in the marketing academy before and is an inducted member and they actually will interview you as well and determine if there's a good cultural fit yep. um, and then once you get through that then you you're one of the thirty um, and then, and then from there do a nine-month course that has a couple of boot camps. Um, and in those boot camps, um, they last for about a week. And you just go and do all these like really inspirational seminars and get to hear from business leaders from around the globe that will actually speak and present to you about you know different theories and concepts on leadership and marketing and purpose and, and all those sorts of things. Um, so I, I guess help inspire you to take your brand to the next level, to take your teams to the next level, and then 
the overall aim of it is to take the communications industry in Australia to the actual next level. And that's what it's all about. So why do you think they chose you? Um, I think they got my resume mixed up with somebody else's. Um, <laughs> no. Um, look, I, I, I've asked myself that a couple of times. And, and Simon Schmevenport. Yeah, it was, it, was, it. <laughs> it, was, it, it was that damn Schmevenport. Um, you know, I, I've got his resume that I use sometimes when I need to. But the way that I tackled it was I tackled it from a global sense. I, I didn't go in there and say, hey, I want to come here and learn all this stuff for me so I can be a better marketer. I more took it from a, I want to go into the marketing academy and learn all this amazing stuff so I can make people around me better and I can make marketing better. It's, it's, it's not about improving myself and it's not about me getting sort of anything out of it. It's about what I can then add back to the people around me and add back to the marketing industry around me and take that forward. Um, and I think that coupled with, you know, I, a lot of drive and motivation behind wanting to I guess meet other people that were that were sort of doing sort of similar roles as um as what I did um at the time and and um you know wanting to actually understand what makes them tick and and get sort of advice from them and get tips from them I had a lot of motivation around wanting to meet those people as well and and that sort of coupled with the fact that I want to try and make a difference I think is maybe why they selected me to be part of the marketing academy I like it What's the one takeaway that you you kind of still think of as the most important thing you learned from your time with the Marketing Academy? Probably the, the biggest one, and, and this, this actually can be a nice concise sentence, is the true test of a leader is how many leaders they develop. So if you're going to be a great leader, you will be judged on how many great leaders that you have created while um, they were under your leadership. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to create great leaders that then go on to achieve uh, you know, amazing things for their career, then that's the test of a great leader. Right, okay. Fascinating. So that's a really nice tangent, by the way, and this wasn't pre-planned. Um, to <laughs> sure. <laughs> leadership's the next thing I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> so let's talk about leadership in marketing. Um, I had uh, Thomas Barter uh, on the podcast a few weeks ago and he spoke about marketing leaders uh, really needing to to prove their value to the business, not just in terms of what they do from a marketing sense, but, you know, how are they creating business value? So thinking about like, you know, what the business's objectives are on the left and on the right is what um, the customer's objectives are. And if you can kind of combine those two together, there's kind of a, a little area in the middle, he calls it the value creation zone, where profit can be made. And it's great for the customer, but it's also great for the business. So that's really important um, for a, a marketing leader to be able to progress through their career, to not just talk about, you know, segmentation and analytics and programmatic advertising, but to be able to show the C-suite the value that they create, the financial value they're creating for the business. So that was a really interesting insight into kind of where, where leadership in marketing is going. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask you about leadership in marketing. What are some lessons that you've learned through your career? Yeah, I, I think throughout my career, what I've mainly learned is, is I can break it into probably two key areas as well when you talk about leadership in marketing. Um, so if the first one, um, which, you, which you've touched on is, is you know, that adding value within the organization. So one thing that I've found, and this is a common thread in all brands that I've worked for, in marketing, you need to drive the marketing agenda. If you're a marketing leader within an organization, if you're a CMO or a senior marketing leader, you need to build the vision and you need to drive the vision through the organization or someone else will drive it for you. So you know whether it's another department that's maybe selling products or developing products um, that may think that they, you know, have a better marketing idea than what you have or, or whatever it might be. It's a matter of really building that clear vision within the organization that shows how much value it's going to add both to the communications that you can produce and to the actual bottom line. It is so important to create that vision and to drive it because if you don't, someone will drive it for you. Mm-hmm. And it's about, again, stakeholder engagement whereby you build that vision, you build your idea of what the brand should stand for and where you should take it what your communications calendar should actually entail, what the campaigns are throughout the year that you really think are going to drive the best dollar for the business um, and really kind of, I guess, exercise that stakeholder engagement so that you're driving the agenda because, you know, 
everyone thinks they're a marketer at heart and everyone kind of feels like they've got a great marketing idea or shouldn't we do this or shouldn't we try that or you know how come we don't do more of this in our advertising or whatever it might be it's so important um, you know the first pillar um, for you to drive value within the organization by driving the marketing agenda mm-hmm. so, so that's probably the first one for me um, and then the second one, which you also touched on, is driving driving value in the consumer market. So, you know, customers aren't just going to buy stuff from you because, you because you did an ad. Customers are going to buy something off you because it's going to add some kind of value to their life. It's going to add some kind of benefit to them. It's going to make them better. It's going to make their day better. It's maybe going to make them feel a little bit better. It's maybe going to you know, take some pressure off them. And these are the sorts of things, these are the sorts of value-adding things that advertising and, and communications and marketing can actually do. So by doing that, I mean, when, you, when you're developing your brand um, and you're adding value to the consumer market, it's important to help customers by, you know, you as a brand carving out your space in the market. So if you think about maybe technology, for example, there's lots of retailers in Australia that sell technology products. You think about, you know, Officeworks, JB Hi-Fi, Good Guys, Harvey Norman, the online retailers like eBay, Kogan, all those sorts of guys, and, and with Amazon coming in, everyone sells similar technology, and you know the pricing is quite similar as well. So how's a customer supposed to decide where to actually buy their laptop or their tablet or mobile phone or whatever it might be? I think it's incumbent on brands to actually carve out a unique space for them in the market that customers buy into. So it's easier for customers to decide where to buy things. So it's not just down to price. Mm. Well, that's that purpose you're talking about earlier on. That's the that's the purpose. Yeah. That's that's the space that you carve out in market, so that you're actually making it easier for customers to shop with you. And you're actually making it they don't need to think anymore. You've done all the thinking for them. You've set the vision. You've set the direction. You've set the tone. You've created a purpose, and now there's no reason why they wouldn't shop with you. So. I think, you know, to kind of summarize on, on that point, that sort of value that marketing and advertising adds is value with, within the organization by driving the agenda and then value in the consumer market by carving out your space and relentlessly going after it so customers know exactly what you stand for and why they should shop with you. We started this chat with you talking about inspiring a generation of marketers. Is there anything you want to say to uh, to to the... To those early or new in their career, um, some advice you might want to give them. What uh, you know? What have What have you done um, that you can impart to others? Um, look, we've we've talked a fair bit about brand purpose, but I think in individual purpose also plays a role both within our careers and also within the value that we can add to organisations and the people that are around us. And it was probably sort of as I was coming on board with Officeworks, um, it was sort of about maybe kind of three to four years ago when I sort of I decided that, you know, if I was going to stay really motivated in my career and if I was going to stay really passionate about what I, what I do, you know, because at, at the end of the day, we're not, we're not necessarily saving lives. And I, I know, that, um, you know that, that term gets thrown around a fair bit. We, we are selling products and services. And there's a good, there's an old phrase, it, it's, uh, it's PR, not ER. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We're definitely not um, in the emergency room resuscitating people. We're actually selling products and services. But, you know, I really love marketing and I want to make sure that I'm really passionate about what I do moving forward. So I wanted to develop a leadership purpose for myself so that I can really, I guess, keep myself motivated, keep myself passionate um, and keep myself really kind of sort of guided towards um, achieving amazing results in my career. So, so I decided that, that my purpose was going to be around inspiring what's possible. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by inspiring what's po- possible is inspiring the people around me, whether it's, whether it's my team, whether it's my colleagues, whether it's my boss, whether it's my agency partners that I work with, that the job is never actually done. There's always, there's always an improvement that can be considered. There's always something that you can learn out of everything that you do. And there's always ways that you can take what you do forward whether it's for your career or whether it's for the brand that you work for. So what really kind of inspires me is the idea of inspiring others so that they're then out achieving amazing results. And then one day they might even accelerate past me and, and, and I might be, you know, working for them at some stage and, you know, the roles might be totally turned around where they're inspiring me to achieve results and whatever it might be. So I, I guess sort of 
you know, if there's one thing that, that I could impart, it's around developing your leadership purpose. And it's not around, you know, I have to wait until I'm a, you know, a senior manager that has 50 people under me. It's around being a leader in what you do and being a leader in what your role is, whether it's if you work for yourself or you work for a large organization, so that you can lead yourself to achieving great results and that you can keep yourself passionate and motivated and, and directed throughout your career. So another question, Simon, and this wasn't on the run sheet, um, so I'm throwing a curveball at you. Do it. Um, but uh, <laughs> well, you don't, don't be too excited. You don't know what the question is yet. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about the, uh, the gratitude journal. Um, so, so you've got, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you fill out a little journal every day about things you're, you're grateful for. It's a good memory. It's a good memory. I'm impressed you remember that. So, um, so, so tell me, like, what's, why do you do it and, and what, do you, what do you get out of it? I actually do it, and um, my my wonderful partner Naya actually she she brought me the gratitude journal, and because I've been talking about you know getting one for for a while, and I've had it for I've had it for over a year now. But um, look, it's all around keeping the glass half full all the time. Because I think at the end of the day, a lot of us have pretty stressful jobs. We have pretty stressful lives, and a lot happens. And sometimes you don't know how you're going to keep all the all the balls in the air and keep juggling everything. And you can start to sweat the small stuff. You can start to ride the highs and the lows too much and you can actually let it affect you too much. When I, I don't think life is supposed to be like that. I don't think life is supposed to be you know, a roller coaster of highs and lows where you never know whether you're coming or going. I think it's actually supposed to be an amazing journey that you are in the driver's seat of your own destiny. So for me, the gratitude journal puts me back in my box so if, if I've had a tough day, I just think of three amazing things that have happened throughout the day. And if they're not amazing, they might just be good things or there might be things like, you know, my, my partner cooked me an amazing meal or one of my team, you know, did an amazing job on, on a campaign that they put out to market or I was getting onto the train and, and somebody, you know, like I, I dropped my phone and somebody picked it up for me and gave it to me and said, oh, you know, I hope it's okay. Just those little things that happen in your life that because we're so busy, you don't really notice that it's actually happening. But the gratitude journal makes you stop and think about things and think about how grateful you are for the amazing life and the amazing opportunity that you have. And then you read through the pages and reflect on it afterwards and it really puts you back in your box if Mm. you think you've had a bad day. And that's really the concept for me. It's really interesting too because you could just sit in the corner for three minutes and think of three things, right? But once once that moment's over, those thoughts are fleeting and they disappear into oblivion. That's right. But writing it down, and, and uh, I've spoken on this podcast before about the, the kind of cognitive um, benefits of writing things. For me, like writing a to-do list is really um, almost like cathartic for me just to kind of get all of the junk that's in my head out onto something else and then I can kind of feel a bit more in control of my life. But in this circumstance, you know, writing something down kind of makes those three um, those three things a little bit more real, I guess, or, or you can acknowledge it in a different way than if you were just kind of just thinking about it. That's it's exactly right. The... Um the process, and you, you touched on the benefits of writing, the, the process of actually writing something down will burn itself a lot more stronger into your mind than if you just think it or write it in a text message or, or you know, write it into an email or something like that. So when you're actually engaging in that physical act of writing something down, the, cog- the both cognitive well-being benefits of doing that coupled with the fact that you know, you're actually memorizing something a lot better it's just something that, that, that people have to keep doing. And you know, in, a, in a digital age that we're sort of growing into, the importance of people continuing to actually keep touching pen and paper and engaging with that, it's going to become even more and more important, especially with kids being educated and their cognitive development coming through. Um, you know, not to mention the fact that um, you know, I touched on it, but actually looking back and reflecting on some of those things you know, if you've got a year, a year's worth of things, a year's worth of three, three things that you've been, you know, grateful for, whether it's every day or every week or however, however you want to do it, you go back and read all that stuff and you start thinking, wait a minute, things are actually pretty amazing. Yeah. I'm actually a pretty lucky person and I really should be grateful for, for what I've got. Mm. Um, you know, it really helps you put things in perspective. Yeah. I love it. That's great. So, Simon, what's exciting you right now? Probably, probably two things are really exciting me at the moment. Um, the first is marketing technology. 
So I've kind of, you know, grown through the ranks and, and um, used a lot of traditional marketing channels throughout my career and, you know, whether it be the, the traditional TV, radio, press, catalogue, um, more traditional digital channels, email, um, loyalty programs, that sort of stuff. But just where technology is taking marketing automation and, I guess, personalization um, and customer experience at the moment is just absolutely the sky's the limit. When you talk about customer experience and you know different you know AI opportunities that there are and, and or even augmented reality, you know giving customers a brand experience without them even having to engage with your stores or with your website or whatever it might be, there's actually just no limit to where where marketing can actually go. And I think what's exciting about that is um, you know our, our imaginations are going and how far we can push our imaginations is going is only going to be the limit on how far we can take it. So that's probably the main thing. And my second thing I'm excited about is a little bit the unknown and the unknown of the Australian marketplace. So interesting, uh, interesting thing to be excited about. The, the main thing for me is, yes, it's good to know where you're going and it's good to have that vision and, and that sort of um, and that goal. But the goalposts are moving so much at the moment. Retail is changing so much. You know, brands are having to evolve really fast because, you know, there are a proliferation of competitors and you know, a lot of brands are fighting for market share and, you know, there's a lot of um, international competitors coming into into the marketplace. So I think I'm really excited about the unknown. I, I think there's no point being scared about what's mm. going to change, but it's more just sort of grabbing the bull by the horns and, and taking each day as it comes and having really strong strategies to be able to keep your brand strong and, and to um, future-proof yourself for where things are going. So that's pretty pretty exciting. So who should I interview next on Mate? I think I've got a good one for you. Yeah. Um, so my, my recommendation is that you interview a gentleman by the name of Andrew Howie. Yes. Um, I met him through the Marketing Academy. He was one of the Marketing Academy cohort in 2016. He's the group marketing manager of MLA, which is uh, Meat and Livestock Australia. So they do all the lamb ads and all the Sam Kekovich um, uh-huh. sort of video content and all that sort of stuff. Um, he's a cracking guy. Um, he's a very, very astute marketer and leader, but he also knows how to have a really good time um, and he doesn't take things too seriously, which mm-hmm. I think in, in marketing is a really important. So, yeah, he's, he's someone that really knows how to bring the best out of the marketing process and I reckon he'd be a, a cracker person to interview. Cool. Well, Simon, thanks for coming on the show. Um, it was uh, informative and it was inspiring. So, uh, thanks so much. Fantastic. It's been been great. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Mate. One thing that I just wanted to point out is, you know, I've known Simon for a couple of years. We work together and, and when you interview someone for a podcast, you seem to learn so much more about them than you could ever learn in years of getting to know somebody. So, it was good to get to know a little bit more of the Simon Davenport backstory. Special thanks goes to Josh Armour from Armourpod Productions for editing today's episode, to Courtney Carmen for designing the beautiful Mate Podcast logo, and to Nine Inch Nails as the music was used under a Creative Commons license. Mate Podcast was made with love and a few frustrating moments as people continue to talk in the background while I'm trying to record this outro in my hometown, Melbourne, Australia. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and this was a Jaffrey product. Bye for now. I've got a good one for who should go on, mate. All right. Yeah. And I can think I can probably hook it up as well. That's half the reason that question. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Give me a little, a little peek behind the curtain. <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's, it's half the way uh, I get yeah. some of the great guests that I do is by kind yeah. of um, using some of the contacts that I have. Yeah. yeah.